okay. Hello, hello, hello. I welcome you once again to Pastor B's Kitchen Table. As you know, this is the place we break it down, chop it up, and put it back together again. And I'm glad that you chose to join us again on a Friday here at the table. You chose to come back to the table, and I'm so glad that you did. Got a real special guest here. Got a friend of mine here. Uh, so glad to have the good Dr. McGee here. So, Doc, will you just say hello to the, to the kitchen table guests and tell us who you are? All right. Hello, kitchen table. <laughs> now, here's the deal. It's the kitchen table of Pastor B. I'm hoping he got some Frenchies on that table. <laughs> I, I need some good chicken. I've been missing some. I want y'all to know that. But if he can offer me a donut from down there, I'll be happy. Uh, my name is Jimmy McGee. I'm the CEO president of the Impact Movement, which is a campus ministry to black students around the country. Uh, we're in roughly uh, 60 campuses around the country. We're at U of H. We're at Rice. Rice is really getting along. And we're at a place that's his heart, Prairie View A&M. So uh, we're in your spaces, and we're excited to grow and do more work. Amen. Amen. Doc, you know what I know. There's been a whole lot going on and, and it's been moving at warp speed. And so if you could just for a moment and just tell us where you've been. I mean, everything has changed as far as school and gathering and all like that. How has that impacted impact? Man, it's, it's changing us fast and we're trying to adapt as quickly as possible. I mean, you, you know, uh, this thing, I was on a trip March 6th through 8th. That was my very last trip. And the month of March is like spring break for various schools across the country. And what we discovered right away, that some of the schools started shutting down in the middle of spring break. They wanted their students to come back home, get their wares, and go away. Others never got home to get their things uh, because they were shutting it down because the pandemic was announced and it was spreading like wildfire. Mm -hmm. So immediately, in us, uh, with us at Impact, we try to figure out what we're going to do for the rest of the semester. So immediately we started doing campus meetings where we had large group meetings virtually just like this. Or, and then right away nationally, we said, well, wow, all our plans are being aborted. All right, let's see if we can give them some consistent content from our national spaces. So we started a thing called Real Talk with our community. We started doing training. So we, we couldn't get our stuff together with our students. So we, two weeks ago, we did an Impact Leadership Institute virtually. And with all, we had 35 of our 60 campuses involved with that one. And on August 6th, 7th and 8th, we're going to do one called Becoming. So we've, we've we named all of our training Becoming. And we use that as a present tense because we're becoming movement leaders in our Leadership Institute. And our next iteration will be becoming followers of Jesus. Because you know and I know, you're still becoming a follower of Jesus. You've yeah, been following yeah. for how many long? And you yeah. know, there's stuff you know now that you didn't know in the beginning. That's right. We're That's trying right. to help our students understand becoming is a present tense if we're alive in this world. And then our last iteration, we're going to do becoming small group leaders, helping them understand how to do that. So that's some of the things we've been doing as well as orchestrating prayer meetings as well. Amen. Now, Doc, I know you've got students from all around the globe. Uh, what are the students saying? What are they feeling? What's, what kind of feedback are you getting from them? Well, you know, the students are feeling varied all across uh, the table. I mean, because you got to realize all of their internships aborted. 
Yeah. All of our summer mission trips, abort it. Yeah. All of their summer job opportunities, abort it. Yeah. And then for some of our schools that are private institutions, you think about this. Some of them are going to private schools, but their commuting is going to be from their bedroom to their bathroom to the kitchen, back to their bedroom in their parents' home yeah. because they have no campus to go to. Right. So their lives are being unraveled. And most yeah. of all, just like you, you said yourself, you know, the students, I remember calling uh, when I find out some of our students' parents or family members are in jeopardy with COVID-19, I call them. Yeah. Um, Taylor Pierre, bless her heart, uh, her dad's a pastor, just like you. Mm-hmm. And she's a singer, loves the Lord. She was president mm-hmm. of our LSU chapter. And about maybe, I don't know, maybe March, early March, middle March, her father, her pastor, got COVID-19. Wow, wow. And he stayed in the hospital for 37 days. Wow. Until the day the Lord called him home. Yeah. And so the family never had a chance to say goodbye. They had no closure. Yeah, yeah. And he died a week before her graduation. Oh my goodness, God. And so you, you think about this, and do you think about the anxiety our students are going through? Some yeah. of our students, you know, you've been working four years to, to really be the first graduate of your family, and you yeah. were looking forward to that day of graduation where your yeah. family can show up, and there's no place to go because they're closed down and canceled graduation. So yeah. they're dealing with the, 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 the heartache of saying, wow, I've been working for this, and I thought grandma and papa and, and my, my cousins and parents could be here. And they're not because there's no graduation. So they're dealing with all kinds of different losses. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty hard, man. Yeah, Doc, it has. And Doc, now you're there in Atlanta. Yes, sir. Uh, and, and so being there in Atlanta, you know, you're in the hotbed for a whole lot of things. <laughs> exactly. So, so tell me about your experience right now being there in Atlanta. Well, you know, it, so let me, I'm going to tell you about that and I'm going to add to it. So it wasn't bad. That it, it wasn't bad enough that the pandemic hit. And right. uh, in the beginning, you know, I told my wife, I said, I, I, I said, when the pandemic hit, hopefully it would treat everybody equitably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you know how wives are. She said, well, why would you be so naive to think that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it started killing black and brown bodies yeah, yeah even native bodies yeah and then if the asian american people weren't getting the disease they were getting beat up for being the cause the cause that's right that's right that's right and of course, nobody, that's right. yeah because nobody knows the difference between a korean and a chinese person yeah so that means if you look asian you're gonna get it yeah yeah and in atlanta once ahmad arbery's death which i have read about but once the video had released, mm-hmm. unrest is everywhere. So yeah. right where I am, uh, the Department of Public Safety was, had a Molotov cocktail thrown in it, burnt up. About three miles from, uh, from me, after Ahmaud Arbery, after Breonna Taylor's incident became known, and then George Floyd publicly, right. which is your world. Yeah. Uh, Roger Taylor was killed by the cops three miles from my house. So I heard helicopters for days. Yeah. So the unrest is everywhere, man. It's yeah. a lot of anxiety here. And, yeah. and now we got the disease back, killing us. Yeah. 
That's right. That's right. It's literally, it is killing. It is, and, and it's, of course, being here in Houston, you know, I mean, our hospitals are just overflowing and, and, and they're trying to give so many um, uh, admonitions and instructions about, hey, cover up. And yet we, we, we're still getting the whole volatility of people saying you can't make me wear a mask and all those kind of crazy things. There's no medical ev evidence and all that. And so you can imagine the cycle. We're in the state of Texas. Even today I saw that, that, that we're one of the top two or three hotbeds. I mean, this thing is hot here. It really is. And so you begin to, you know, and, it, and the impact I want to talk about, Doc, also is just uh, on the church. Because uh, as, as we were talking offline, you know, we haven't gathered uh, since March, early March was the last time we, we gathered. Uh, really, after that NBA season, I remember watching um, my, my Lakers play. I watched my Lakers play. And I think there was someone who tested positive for a, a team. So I forgot what team it was now. I think it, was it was Portland. It was Portland. Then you No, Utah. Utah, Utah, then, Utah, Utah got it. Utah got it. And I remember they just shut everything down, walked off the court and say the NBA is over. And I, I just remember that. And then days later, of course, the churches, and we just, we just couldn't gather anymore. So we haven't collectively gotten together uh, since March. And we've had to find some new and creative ways to do ministry, to make contact and all like that. And we're, we're, in, a, we're in a brand new world uh, than we've been in before. And, and you're right. It, 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 it has kind of had the greatest impact on our communities and, and, and mm. those who are, who, are, who are darker hue of skin. And, 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 uh, and, and that's, you, you, like you said, it's equitable and it doesn't appear equitable. But, but and through it all, I've been, I've been charged the church to tell them, listen, we got to still believe God and we got to learn to minister in this new normal. So how are you guys making disciples in this new normal? Because part of Impact's ministry on these college campuses, you guys are discipling people. Now, I, I will tell you, we're, we're trying our best to. We're having the yeah. conversations uh, around issues that we think are really germane to the lives of Black students. You got to understand, right. for, for Black students to see Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or, or even Ahmaud Arbery, our students see these people as their aunties, their cousins, their, right. their brothers and sisters. And so now, in between the pandemic, they're asking questions about the God of the universe, loving them as, as, as in their black bodies. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, sometimes in our faith, we get this idea, it's, it's a form of Gnosticism, that God doesn't really care about bodies. He only cares about our souls. Well, you, you and I know that can't be true, can't be because true. why would the resurrection be so important to the kingdom? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. We're going to have right. resurrected bodies. I'm looking forward to that day. It won't be COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> that's right. And, and I get to walk through walls, and I get to eat at the same time. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. that's going to be a wonderful experience. But what we had to do was to help our students do two things. To engage them, to tell them that God does care about trauma and that God loves them. So we've been training them and discipling them and introducing to them various ways to go through this storm. Not to ignore it, not to, uh, not to pretend it's not here, but to go through it. Yeah. And so one of the ways we've been discipling them on one occasion, and I told you, we've been having from time to time various therapists on our, our meetings to help our students understand how do you engage trauma? Yeah. And we had one with trauma and resilience. And there were all people of color who was talking about trauma. We had mm -hmm. Sheila Wise Rowe, who I would recommend that you should get her at the table. She wrote a recent book called Healing Racial Trauma. 
Okay. And she, along with my other guests, were really helping our students figure out how to mourn, because we don't know always how to mourn, how to not to be upset about trauma, but how to negotiate it and to yeah. see it in a part of life. So that's one thing we're doing. That's we correct. just did one this past Monday called Critical Race Theory, Intersectionality, and Social Justice. Because for some of our white brothers and, and, sister, and, and sisters and some black people are saying all three of these things are a threat to the, to the gospel. Yeah, but for me in my work with black students, if I tell students that we're not engage in social justice issues, I might as well get out of business. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they're concerned yeah. about this. Yeah, they yeah, want to know exactly. what we're gonna do yeah. about this. Yeah, exactly, and exactly. So, that. And so in saying we're gonna do it, we had to bring some theologians together with us to introduce to them why Jesus see this. You know and I know. When Jesus started his ministry, you know, he set the pattern. Yeah. He, he didn't say, I want you to repent for the forgiveness of sins so you can go to heaven. No, the scripture says he went up and he took the scroll from the yeah. book of Isaiah. Yeah. And what did he say? The spirit, yeah. the spirit of the spirit Lord. Of the Lord. That's right. Right? And he started talking about justice issues. Yeah. A sight to the blind people, releasing yeah. captives, dealing with oppressed people. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right? And, and that right. was the part. In Mark, he says... Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It wasn't yeah. a future tent. He was saying it's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what we want to energize our students to say, you know what? Jesus is concerned about your soul, but his kingdom is coming. How do we help you to see this value, this strength, and this glory come right now? And so that's some of the ways we've been deciding. Doc, that's awesome, Doc, because so many times we forget about the holistic aspect of the gospel. The gospel incorporates every entity of our lives. Exactly. And Jesus, Jesus did. And so somehow, somewhere, there's been someone that's kind of poisoned the biblical waters and think that it's only some spiritual uh, interjection for, 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 for the sweet by and by. And they overlook the issue, the practicality of living in life. And really, that's what kind of got Jesus in trouble. Because exactly. You think about it, because you look at what Jesus started dealing with, with those who were disenfranchised, those who had been uh, ostracized, those who were oppressed, those who were, who, who were treated as if they weren't human, those who had no dignity. And, and, he, and he had a place for them. And he, he talked about the gospel. He talked about the kingdom. He talked about life, God. He let them see God beyond, beyond the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. And so we've got people now, even now, with all that's going on, they got that same Pharisaical approach of trying to find a scripture to really not allow you to ask, does God care about me? About why am I the color I am and then why they hate my color and all those kind of things. Exactly. But, 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 the, but the Bible addresses that. I'm saying we just be biblical and be, and be biblical Christians, not, not cultural Christians, then we'll understand, hey, it's already in the text. And I appreciate you doing that, brother, because even here, um, we had a couple of town hall. I did about, about three town hall gatherings and I did a gathering with the uh with the police i did a gathering uh with some ministers i did a pastor's gathering. i did a gathering with our young people and you know they they got angst they got anger they got anxiety and yet at the same time many have gone out there marching they want to do something exactly. but they also want to know but they also want to know how does this flesh out with me being a christian how do you integrate this because they, they're still saying jesus is still lord and i'm, and I'm saved but I want to know how does my salvation, how does my Christianity 
address this. And I was just so overjoyed by that and just the sincerity of them. And you're right, you've got to address it because that's part of discipleship too. Well, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're doing the thing of unpacking is realize that we've been given some bad practices and bad ideas, even in our current discipleship, if we're not careful. Like yeah. for instance, the big thing, people get the idea, what do I do with my anger? Yeah. And so it, it gives the idea that we're not permitted to be angry. Yeah. And that's a docility that is given in the text. I mean, given to us, that's not in the text. Because the text says, be angry yeah. and sin not. Sin not right. And so Jesus created all these emotions. Yeah. And so what does happen when you don't release anger? It becomes bitterness. Yeah. Now, bitterness is bad. Yeah. It's yeah. destructive. And it's not yeah. destructive only to the people when it comes out. It's destructive in the body where it's stored up. So we've yeah. got to give permission to say, why shouldn't you be angry? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anybody who should not be angry when they saw that policeman press on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Period. And yeah. so what people don't realize, and this is the thing that we're learning now, right now, even in psychology, is that you know how the scripture says that through that first Adam, sin has passed on. What right. we're now learning, trauma is passed on as well. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so when we see the death of, 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 of George Floyd, it wasn't just his death. Yeah. All of a sudden, all yeah. these other yeah. people showed yeah. up. Yeah. Emmett yeah. Till, right? Yeah. Walter yeah. Scott, all the yeah. memories of yeah. what it felt like when we saw yeah. these people killed in the public, Philando Castillo, all those memories came right back yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a flood. <laughs> like a flood. Like a flood, that's it. exactly. That, that, Doc, why HBCU? Well, first of all, let me just say this. Um, I'm going to say it in a way, I, I just saw a documentary on, on uh, Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. I mean, not Maya Angelou, on uh, Toni Morrison. And she, mm -hmm. she said some things in there that I'm still riveting from. One of the things I love about HBCUs, and I, and I want to be honest, I want to be fair, I want to be true to the audience. Uh, I didn't go to one. Back when I was going to college, they didn't take college tours. If your counselor didn't inform you about this, you really didn't know about colleges. And quite frankly, my mama graduated from college, what, my sophomore year in high school. So I only had two choices in my mind. I, I played basketball from Chicago, so I applied at Marquette and DePaul. Now, I went to an all-black male high school, so I did hear about Morehouse. But I can tell you this, there wasn't a chance I was going to another school with all black men only. Yeah, yeah. But nobody told me across the street or in, it was the house. I mean, it was the yard. Yeah. Yeah. If I knew Spelman was that close, there would have been yeah. a good team. Right. But having said that, HBCUs are valuable assets for our community in so many ways. First, they collectively graduate. They're only 1% of all the colleges in the country are HBCUs, but they graduate one fourth of all black students in the country. So mm -hmm. we know that is an exceptional space. Two, we know that the, the, the professors and instructors there are committed not just to their own profession and their discipline, they're committed there to the educating of a community, yeah. of redemption of life 
for the life of black people. And they've been doing this for a long time. Valuable, valuable assets. You know, the second thing I would say, the third thing I would say is what I read or saw in this thing with Maya Angelou. She's it, in this document, not Maya Angelou, I keep saying Maya, it's Toni Morrison. I, I want you to listen to this story. This is just a profound story. She says, she was talking one day as a child to one of her close friends. And they were talking about God. Mm-hmm. And her close friend said, I don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I do believe in God. Why don't you? And she said, well, I've been praying to God for many, many years now, and he's yet to answer my prayers mm-hmm. because I've been praying for blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And Toni Morrison, she says at this point, she says she was very, very, very dark. Mm-hmm. She was also very, very, very beautiful. Yeah. And she said this kind of racism is an evil kind. It's not lynchings. It's not burnings. It's not rape. But it's an it's a insidious one on the inside yeah. that yeah. destroys a person. Yeah. And see, at HBCUs, what people fail to know, and I want all of your audience to hear this. I've heard some Black students say across the country out of high school, I don't want to go to HBCU. I want diversity. Yeah. Let me just say something. You live in the United States of America. You can get diversity for the rest of your days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right? true, so, that's true. So you can just let that go. But yeah. what HBCUs do, your color is not an excuse for excellence. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. They believe in your potential. They believe excellence is already in you, and their goal is to drive that from you out and to give you the confidence when you leave the halls of those institutions to live in the society and do well. And if you look at the AU Center, Morehouse, Spelman, and Clark, 95% of all those students end up going to white primarily white institutions yeah, and they do well. So yeah. what people need to realize HBCUs and of my three sons, my oldest graduated from Howard. You know, I know some of your members are shouting right now. Yeah. <laughs> you had to say Howard. Yeah. My second son wanted to go to Howard and he got accepted in a number of schools, but they didn't offer him money. So he went to Mizzou mm-hmm. and they had 7,000 blacks on campus anyway. And when he went there, it was right when all this racial upheaval was happening on campus. And now he works for the Tribune. And my youngest son is a Morehouse student. So we've we've tried to put in their minds that this is the safest space to be nurtured and to gain their confidence before they go into the real world. That's why we really believe in HBCUs. Doug, I'm glad you said that because, as you know, I've I've got three children, but two of my children uh, just graduated from HBCUs. Uh, my oldest son, I mean, my middle son graduated from, from Prairie View, the Prairie View uh, in, in engineering. Uh, and then my daughter just graduated from Xavier and she's on her way to, 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 to grad school. And I can just see because coming up, they were, they were in predominantly white institutions, even in, in a private school. And I, and I could see the shift that was made within them uh, by going to HBCU. What you said was so true though. I, I guess I never phrased it like that before. They already see you as there's greatness inside of you. There's potential inside of you. Their job is, is, is to really mine it out of you. And then that's exactly. what I saw. 
because because it is not a, a dumbing down. It's not that you know anything goes. No, we want to aim for excellence because you were created for this, and and that's what I appreciate. I, I could see a definitive difference, and just and of course when they come out like my daughter, she's going to uh, she's going to Michigan, a PWI, and my son now works for a company, and he's the only a handful of people in there, so they will step back into those environments. But the thing which they're able to get through HBCU experience, uh, to me, was priceless uh, be, beyond just simply being black. Uh, and so I, I, that's why I ask that question, because there's so many stereotypes and you hear so many things about it. You know, we want to have diversity and, and the world is diverse. And, and you're right. You just live in America. You live in this world. Uh, you're going to encounter diversity all the time. You're not, you can't escape from it. You cannot. And and uh, and let me get let me get back to that story. So when Toni Morrison was talking about her black friend, she said, "So where did she get this idea that beauty was white?" And you know what she said? She said wow. she got it in her house. Yeah, yeah. She got it in the TV. She got yeah. it in the neighborhood and the whole world. And yeah. so this whole idea was encroachment of the idea that she was ugly when she was beautiful. Yeah. And in and and what we what happens in those HBCUs, they get a redefinition of knowing that intelligence is in their body, and that beauty is really them, and that's clear. I mean, you know, we grew up in an era where uh, "Black is beautiful" was a slogan, yeah. and 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 people they frowned upon it, but we had afros, we had bell bottoms. It, it, what what that was was a psychological approach to our whole community to look at each other and say, look how beautiful black is, because yeah. we never thought black was beautiful. No, and so no. when you look at Black Lives Matter, it's the same iteration. Yeah. Black Lives Matter, black is beautiful. We're trying to convince ourselves mm -hmm. of this value mm -hmm. as much as declare for justice and equity in the society. And what these HBCUs are saying to us, black lives do matter, come to our schools. Black is beautiful. Come to our schools cool. and to and have that instituted in their brains, so that when they find themselves in those white spaces, they hopefully will not retreat from that sense of identity and development. Yeah, the sense of that is that my eyes are not blue. Exactly. 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 Doc, my my, my last point here. I, I've got to I've got to ask you, man. How are you doing? What is God doing with you? Because you are a CEO, you lead this organization, you you're being changed and and, and you having to, to reach people and nurture people and encourage people and all that. But what about you, Doc? How are you doing? I think I, I think people might think just because we don't interact with people and we're staying in front of computers that yeah. life is easy for us. I know for me, to be honest. I'm working harder than I was before the pandemic. Amen, 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 that's right. <laughs> right, and, and frankly, I don't know when the beginning of the week is and when it ends, yeah. Yeah. because yeah. we keep moving. We're continuing yeah. to engage. I'm Zoomed out. Dude, this yeah. is my yeah. fifth Zoom meeting today. today so well, I am, and so yeah. some people call me up, well, are you willing to meet? Long as I don't have to look at you, call me yeah. on my phone, yeah. we yeah. can talk. Yeah. So I wanna say that part, has been really hard because you know we've been we've increased our hours. It's hard to grab people's attention yeah. from Zoom because right. there's a digital fatigue. Yeah, yeah. Now, right. now, and I and I say that carefully because when I say fatigue, they'll move on and then they'll go binge watch something on mm -hmm. on 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 Netflix for like twenty right. hours. 
Right, right. But they're not really watching, it's just entertaining them. Yeah, yeah. Versus working like this. So that's been hard. The other thing I want to say is that I'm thinking this is a great time to recalibrate and reset. Yeah. For me, I know this. Uh, I know we're in a new normal, but there's two things that one gives me a lot of hope. One, I want mm -hmm. to grow from this incident and yeah. I want to see how can we do ministry better and different. Yeah. That's right. And it won't all be digital. I really believe once we get out of this season, once yeah. they get a vaccine and we get this behind us, I think we're going to grow incredibly so because people need touch, man. Yeah, that's right. That's right. People need embrace. You, you remember in, in, was it Mark 1, when Jesus came across that leprosy who was saying, unclean, unclean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and he said to him, if, if thou will, I mean, if, yeah. if thou will make me clean. And mm -hmm. what did Jesus do before he even said anything? He touched him. He reached out and touched him. Touched him. And he didn't have to. No, he didn't. He could have said it and walked away. <laughs> That's right. But he didn't. Right. He, he touched did. him. He touched and you him. know what? That was more healing than even being cleansed from the leprosy. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he hasn't felt a human body that... Yeah embraced him in a long time i yeah. think we're in a, t a season of leprosy in this nation yeah 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 and i think once we get out of this human touch is something we yeah. need to facilitate a godly one of course yeah. but to facilitate to show the meaningfulness of jesus in our lives and living through us amen I mean, amen it's hard it's hard doc it is it is i, I like what you said about recalibrating but at the same time, being hopeful and optimistic and true that we will, we, we will get through this. And yet I think the church, the church should be, should be locked and loaded and ready to advance when this is over. Uh, we shouldn't be woe is me or woe is us. No, no. Uh, we've been created for times like this. Um, because through, through Jesus Christ, the Bible said we had no hope, but now we have. We got God and we got hope. Exactly. And that does not change. And so we got, you're right, we got to fatigue. We got to, we got to kind of catch our breath a little bit, rest a little bit. Now you got to stay off all that fried chicken and donuts. We got to <laughs> <laughs> I want some right now, though, Chief, because yeah. you know, my wife ain't giving it to me. So yeah. I got to get some yeah. of it. <laughs> I, hey, I'll, I'll listen to somebody talk about those COVID pounds. <laughs> they can't move around for the COVID pound. No, but you know, Not, let me tell you something. Yeah. You know, I, I walk three to eight miles every day and I bought a bike to ride. Amen. Amen. Because I know I got to keep exercising because, dude, the COVID pounds and stress makes us more vulnerable to the disease. That's right. That's right. That's right. You must take care. You can't just sit in that house or sit in front of the television and watch CNN, MSNBC. You can't do that can't all do that. day. No, sir. You got to get out and use exercise your body. Doc, you have blessed us tremendously. So, Doc, tell me this and please tell our viewers what can the viewers do for impact? You're doing so much for so many students and parents. What can we do for impact? Well, you know, one thing I would tell you guys would be two things. First of all, remember impact. And I know a lot of our churches, people are surprised, are doing pretty good because of our offerings. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they've never abandoned their churches. I would say for the impact movement, for us to survive and be present for Black students, to visit our website and make a contribution to us. That will be well, well important for us to sustain because just like everybody else, we've lost 50% of all black owned businesses. And we're a nonprofit, but we could go over or go under in this time because of the inaccessibility yeah. for our audience. So that's one thing. The other thing, come visit us on our Real Talk with our communities. 
and, and listen to us and, and see the content that we're presenting to our students. Our deepest desire is for them to grow deep, grow wide, and grow tall in their faith so that, that they realize we need more troops on the front lines. Yeah. We need them to be appointed to do good work in these spaces. And so I would say, hey, you know, those two things will be very important. But there's a third thing, and I think you know this one. If there was, there was ever a time to pray, we need prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, if they can't pray every day, just pray one time. And then if we yeah. multiply that by your audience, man, that can get us over. And we Amen. welcome and ask you in the name of Jesus to pray for yeah. us. Yeah. Amen, Doc. What's your website, Doc? It's www.impactmovement.org. And they need to go visit it now because we're in the hunt because we need a new website because we're getting too many people visiting us to upgrade a little bit. But yeah. go to www.impactmovement.org and you can see us. Or go to Facebook and the Impact Movement Facebook page. Or we have a YouTube channel. All three of those. We're on all places. Amen. God bless you, brother. I knew that no matter what happened with the COVID, that God could not, he's going to put us back together. Oh, yes. And I need to hear from you, brother. I need to hear from college campuses. I said, I've talked to elementary. I've talked to middle school, high school. But I need to go to the college campus. And that's why I need to talk to you, Doc. Because I said, you're in the foxhole fighting. And, and, and it's a joy to be in the foxhole with you. And most of all, shooting at the same target. <laughs> exactly. Even though, I got to tell you this, brother, I love yeah. you a lot. And it's exciting yeah. to be in here. But I got to tell you, it's really disappointing to hear you're a Laker fan. I, I just. Oh, I my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> really, to, to, to be totally transparent, I'm really a LeBron fan. Wherever, he, <laughs> okay. wherever he's gone, it's kind of became my team. Okay. <laughs> but, Doc, God bless you, my brother. Let me just say a word of prayer for you before we close out. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, God, for the impact movement. I pray, Lord, for Dr. McGee and his leadership team. and and the list of, of leaders around the country who are trying to disciple, who are trying to help these students, Father God, make some sense out of all this transpired, and to continue to follow you, to believe you, to believe God that they have life, worth, value, identity, and hope in you. So thank you, Lord. May you bless their finances. May you bless their reach. May you bless, Lord God, their fellowships. We believe you, Lord, for even greater things. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 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 Well, there it is. Tell your mama and them, tell your dad and them what you heard today right here at the kitchen table. And if God says the same, I'll see you next week right here at the table. God bless you. God keep you. Dr. McGee, may God bless you, my brother. Shalom, Doc.